0: Oh, that day when free from sinning, I shall see Thy lovely face, clothed then in
1: blood-washed linen, I must sing Thy sovereign
0: grace. Thank God for gospel transformation, and for gospel growth. Good morning, Good morning. I want to begin with a question. What do you thank God for? What do you thank God for? Okay, so for many of us, perhaps our first thought is food. Because of the tradition of praying before a meal. We often do remember to thank God for food. And that's a good thing. What else? Perhaps you have a a list of things. Raindrops on roses and whiskers on kittens, bright copper kettles and warm woolen mittens, and so on. It may be easier for us to think about objects that we are thankful for but taking it a little deeper, I imagine some of you are already thinking, "Well, I thank God for my family." Or perhaps, "I thank God for my church family." So good. We're we're getting somewhere. But why are we thankful for whether it's our family or our church family? And sometimes I think the easiest things to think about are the ways that these people have blessed me personally. So just thinking back over a couple uh, Thanksgiving dinners where, where a good number of you were there as well, and just different people sharing um, examples of Thanksgiving for how others in the church had blessed them, or how, and, and, and those and those are, are good things, it's wonderful to be thankful for, for one another and to express thankfulness where we're on the receiving acts of kindness. But sometimes I think in thanking God for one another, perhaps we need to go a step further and think on even, even deeper reasons to be thankful to God for one another. So what is behind those repeated acts of kindness? Or what is behind uh, the infectious joy that you might see in a a young Christian? We'll consider this theme of thankfulness to God this morning as we begin a series in the book of Colossians. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to the book of Colossians. We'll start in chapter 1. If you are new to the Bible, Bibles generally also have a table of contents that you can look at at the beginning and find where Colossians is. You will also see that uh, the scripture passage is printed in your bulletins. Colossians is in the New Testament. It's written uh, by the Apostle Paul. So at WSBC, you may have noticed that Preachers, in general, try to work through different books of the Bible. The context of going through a whole book of the Bible can be really helpful in understanding each section that we study. Sometimes we may take bigger sections of Scripture at a time, and sometimes we may take smaller sections at a time. The the goal is to finish up the book of Colossians right around when Mark, who we've called to be our senior pastor, is able to move back. So if we zoom out and ask, so what is this book, what is Colossians about? I thought the the new dictionary of biblical theology helpfully summed up two main theological focal points in Colossians. One is the person and work of Jesus Christ. And the other is the believer's new life in Christ. And these two focal points are linked by the proclamation of the gospel. So let's get started. Please follow along as I read Colossians 1, verses 1 to 8. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, To the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. So I think the main idea from these first several verses in the book Of Colossians can be summed up this way. Thank God for gospel transformation and for gospel growth. Thank God for gospel transformation and for gospel growth. We'll work through this main idea in three points. Point one is a gospel blessing. We'll see that in verses one to two. Point two is gospel transformation. We'll see that in verses 3 to 5, the beginning of verse 5. And point 3 is gospel growth. We'll look at that from the latter half of verse 5 until verse 8. So let's begin with point 1, a gospel blessing. Please look with me again at verses 1 to 2 as we think through this. So in verses 1 to 2, we see who is giving and who is receiving this gospel blessing. The main author of this letter is Paul the Apostle, but we see that Paul is not alone. He includes Timothy in this greeting. Paul speaks of himself as an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, reminded of Paul's God-given authority as an apostle. Paul is not a self-proclaimed apostle. God appointed Paul to this role. And so Paul may describe himself as the least of the apostles elsewhere in his writings, but God has given him authority as an apostle alongside the other disciples, minus Judas, plus Matthias, as we see in the book of Acts. If you're unfamiliar with Paul's story, you can jot down to start reading in Acts chapter 8, how God showed mercy to Paul, who was called Saul. We meet Timothy later in the book of Acts as well. The books of 1 and 2 Timothy are written by Paul to Timothy, who Paul calls his true child in the faith. It is possible that Timothy is even helping Paul write down the letter of Colossians for him. We're not sure, uh, but that is one possibility. And as far as who receives this letter, we read that this is for the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. So just for a bit of background, Colossae is in modern-day Turkey. At the time of Paul's writing, this city would have been less important than it had been a few centuries in the past when it had been at the crossroads of a couple well-traveled highways. The nearby cities of Laodicea and Heropolis, mentioned later in this letter, were by this time more important than Colossae from a worldly perspective. And yet perhaps the relative unimportance of the city of Colossae is a good reminder That God cares for his churches because they're his churches, not because of how important a particular city is on the grand, um, like on a map or on a globe, but God cares for his children in all places, both the big cities and the small ones and the towns. What appears more important than the location of Colossae is that these saints and faithful brothers are in Christ. More important than physical location is that is their spiritual location, that they are abiding in Christ. This is something that Paul wants those who hear these words to remember. And just a note, uh, the phrase translated in the ESV as faithful brothers should be read to include both brothers and sisters. At our church, there, may be, there might be more than one language going for like what is the third most spoken language after service. Uh, but maybe one of the possibilities would be Spanish, right? And in Spanish, similarly to the Greek that this letter was written in, If they are both male and female present, the male form of the noun is used. And so hermanos in Spanish includes sisters when a family has sisters, right? Just as the Greek Adelphoi includes sisters when obviously the church has both brothers and sisters. So this is to to the church, to the family of God, to brothers and sisters. And we don't wanna skip over the fact that this language of the church is the language of family. Timothy is called a brother and Paul is writing to brothers and sisters. And these brothers and sisters are described as faithful. Later in the letter, Paul will encourage the Colossians that they must remain faithful. And they're called saints. They're people set apart for God in Christ. And Paul and Timothy end this greeting with a a simple blessing, grace to you and peace from God the Father. The reason that I would call this a gospel blessing is because this blessing is made possible by the good news of the gospel. Paul does not simply say hello and keep going. He gives a blessing. He wishes the saints at Colossae grace and peace. The gospel is a gospel of grace. Grace can be defined as unmerited favor. We did not deserve what Jesus did on the cross for us, and yet he gave up his life for us. We did not earn salvation. Salvation is a gift. It's a gift coming out of the riches of God's grace. Peace also is not simply a feeling of peace, peace is relational. Once we were enemies of God, but because of Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross, we can be reconciled with God. We can have peace with God. And so Paul knows that this grace and peace comes from God. This is a blessing that comes from God, our Father. Even though this greeting is very simple, Paul does not waste any words. And it does seem that he wants to highlight the Colossians' need for grace, as he mentions it here and in the very last verse of Colossians. He ends with the words, grace be with you. And so the book of Colossians begins and ends with asking that God continue to extend his grace to the brothers and sisters in Colossae. This is a blessing made possible by the gospel and inspired by the gospel. That brings us to our second point, gospel transformation, gospel transformation. Please look again at at verse three. We read, we always thank God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. It would make sense for the we here to continue to be referring to Paul and Timothy. Paul and Timothy are regularly and continually praying for the brothers and sisters in Colossae. And when they pray, they always thank God. And this brings us to the reasons that Paul and Timothy give thanks. Beginning in verse 4, we read, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Here are the reasons why Paul and Timothy thank God for the saints in Colossae. Because they have heard of their faith in Christ Jesus. And because they have heard of the love that the brothers and sisters there have for other Christians. This faith and this love are grounded in a sure hope, the hope waiting for the Colossian believers in heaven. When we use the word hope in this sense, we're not talking about wishful thinking or something that we're unsure of. We are speaking of waiting for something that Paul knows and that the Colossian Christians know is already there. The object of the hope of the Colossian Christians was already waiting for them. Note that this hope laid up in heaven gives us an anchor for the faith in Christ Jesus and the love for all the saints. Thinking on the faith and love and hope of the believers in Colossae, we realize that these are men and women who have been transformed by Jesus the response of the Colossians to hearing the gospel was faith in Christ Jesus. And this living faith in Christ Jesus is displayed by love that the Colossians have for other Christians. This is not to say the Colossians do not care for those who are not Christians, but it is to highlight the love in the family of God as brothers and sisters care for one another in a special way even caring for Christians they may have never met. The firmness of their faith and their abounding love is driven by the hope of heaven. If it were not for the truth of the gospel, if it were not for Jesus' death and resurrection from the grave, there would be no hope of the resurrection. It's because Jesus goes ahead of us and prepares a place for us that we have this sure hope of heaven. So gospel transformation comes about when we believe gospel truth. Because the Colossians have heard and understood the gospel, the Colossians understood this hope of heaven. And so Paul begins his letter by telling the Colossian church that he thanks God for them because he has heard of their faith, their love, and their hope. Paul thanks God because God has shown his grace to these men and women. He has brought them into his family. And now their lives have been changed, as can be seen by the love that they have for one another. In thinking about application, I would like us to first, first put ourselves in the sandals of the Colossians before we put ourselves in Paul's sandals. If we were the ones receiving the letter Paul's, thankfulness to God for the faith, love, and hope in us would remind us of the importance of these attributes. It would remind us that in simply being one of God's children, there is so much to be thankful for. So brothers and sisters, do you thank God that he has given you faith? Do you thank God that the hope laid up for you in heaven inspires this faith? Do you thank God that as a Christian you can love in a way that you never could before? As Christians, we could should be reminded to give thanks for the most basic aspects of, of what makes us Christians. These may be basic truths, but they're profound truths in the Christian life. New life in Christ, being adopted into God's family are not things that we want to take for granted. These are not things that should grow old in the Christian life. So brothers and sisters, do we thank God for saving us? Do we regularly thank God for the truth of the gospel? Do we thank God for showing love to us even when we were his enemies? Let's let this attitude of of thankfulness drive our prayers. Let us thank God for the work He has already done in us. Let us thank God for this change in identity that God has given us. It's often easy for us to think of things to ask God for. It's often easy to think of requests. But before we do, let's be people who thank God, that we are people who have been made right with God, that our broken relationship with God has been reconciled in Christ. We have peace with God. And that's what makes it possible for us to boldly approach God's throne. In further considering application, let's learn from the example of Paul. What did Paul thank God for? Paul thanked God for how the gospel had changed the men and women in the church at Colossae. Paul regularly prayed for these saints, and when he did, he thanked God for what God had done in their lives. I'd like to highlight just a few things we can learn from Paul's example here in prayer. First, Paul regularly prayed for other Christians, even Christians at a church he had never been to. So, brothers and sisters, let this also encourage us pray for Christians in other churches. But perhaps you're thinking, well, I, I have a hard enough time praying for Christians at my own church. Well, if you're having a hard enough time praying for Christians at your own church, well, let's, let's start there first. Let's start with the people that we have the most responsibility to pray for and pray that God will help us to continue to grow and be growing in, in praying for others as well. To continue to push ourselves and discipline ourselves to pray for others as well. So maybe you pray uh, for members of your immediate family often, but don't often pray for your church family. Then would encourage you to expand out to your to your church family. For those of you who may already be regularly praying for members of this church, can, would encourage you to consider how to pray for members or, or for other churches. For members of this church, the suggestion at the front of the membership directory to use the membership directory as a prayer guide uh, is, not, is not just written there as part of filling out a page. We want to take prayer for one another seriously. And perhaps a new and updated membership directory coming soon can be of added encouragement to get into this habit of regularly praying for your fellow church members. And how can we expand out? How can we pray for other Christians or for other churches as well? What would be good ways to begin? Perhaps you can begin by praying for Christians and churches that you know, perhaps churches you have been to in the past. You can also try to get to know members at other churches in our city. We, we sometimes have opportunities to, to partner, or fellowship with members from other churches. You also hear uh, whoever's doing the prayer petition pray uh, for different churches in our city, uh, in our service as well. You can be thinking of uh, praying for some of these churches during the week as well. Second, pray with an attitude of thankfulness to God. Sometimes in our prayers for others, we may get discouraged. So-and-so is sick, or so-and-so is not doing well spiritually, or haven't seen so and so in a long time, there, there may be just a burden or burdens of, of thinking through uh, difficulties that people are going through. But I think in, in general, just thinking on our passage, when we pray for other Christians, we can begin with an attitude of thankfulness to God for them. Why is that? It's because of their new life in Christ, their salvation, and evidence of the love of God in their lives. So even if they are going through difficulty, we can be thankful for what God has already done in their lives, and what we hope that, what we trust that God will do. And this is the third thing we can learn from Paul's example in prayer here. Paul thanked God for the transformation that God had brought about in these brothers' and sisters' lives. Paul wasn't thanking God because the members of this church were necessarily directly blessing Paul, but Paul's view of thankfulness was much bigger. Paul's thankful to God for what God has done in the lives of the brothers and sisters at Colossae. So let us as well, when we thank God, for one another and for brothers and sisters of other churches. Let us begin by having an attitude of thanking God for saving these men and women and giving them new life. Let us begin by remembering what God has already done in their lives, and let that also remind us of the truth of the gospel as we thank God for them. Sometimes when we read Paul's letters, we might not slow down enough during his prayers to consider that there's so much we can learn from the priorities behind these prayers, being guided to learn more from the Apostle, how the Apostle Paul prayed for others, one helpful book uh, that we have on our book table, we might have one copy on our book table, Uh, and if we don't, we'll try to get some more soon. Well, one helpful book is called Praying with Paul. It's by D.A. Carson. Carson basically walks through several of Paul's prayers in Paul's letters and, and helps us learn from Paul's example. And we're not even to an end of what Paul is thanking God for here. And that brings us to our third point, point three, gospel growth, gospel growth. We're looking from the second half of verse 5 until verse 8. Here Paul is describing how he thanks God for the growth of the gospel. The word of truth, the gospel, connects the the previous section we just talked about in this section. The content of the gospel held out for the Colossians is what gives them the hope of heaven that we looked at in the previous section. In this section, the gospel is described in language as though it's alive. It's like a a plant that's bearing fruit and growing. This language also seems to echo God's command to Adam and Eve in Genesis 1.28, in which he tells the first humans to be fruitful and multiply. Christians also are to be fruitful and multiply. But the emphasis of the New Testament is on the proclamation of the gospel as people are brought from death to new life after hearing the gospel and putting their faith in Christ. If you're here today and you're not a Christian this morning, I'd like to tell you that the gospel is true. In verse 5, the gospel is called the word of truth. And in verse 6, it is described as the grace of God in truth. So please do consider with me for a moment why it matters that the gospel is true. But first, what is the content of the gospel, of the good news? One way to sum up the gospel is in four words, God, man, Christ, response. God, the creator and ruler of this world, he deserves all worship. He deserves all honor and praise because of who he is, man, humanity, us. We are created beings, but instead of worshiping God, we so often put ourselves on God's throne. Ask many young people today what they believe in, and they will say they believe in themselves. The just penalty for dishonoring God in this way for rejecting him is death. It's like we're living as traitors to our true king. We deserve God's judgment, but that's why the good news of the gospel is so good. The good news is summed up in the word Christ. Jesus Christ took our place. He died on the cross for our sins, and he rose again from the dead, and he has prepared a place for us in heaven. Jesus Christ took the penalty we deserve so that we don't have to take it. When we emphasize the truth of the gospel, this is where we start. That Jesus Christ truly lived as a man, that he died and that he rose again. And then there's the response to the gospel. If you're not a Christian, we urge you to, to repent, to turn away from your sins and to trust in God. We urge you to believe and to begin worshiping the true God. He deserves your honor and glory. So putting your faith in Christ means trusting that Jesus is who he said he is. He truly died and he rose from the dead. This good news is true. Christians don't believe this because it makes us feel good inside or gives us some moral code to live our lives, we believe that, that this is true. And we'd like to help you understand that it is true. It's not just true for some people, it is the truth. Okay, let's keep going. There are two focuses of how the gospel has grown in this section. The first and more emphasized is how the gospel has come to the brothers and sisters in Colossae. Paul takes the time to mention how the Colossians first heard the gospel through Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, who Paul calls a minister of Christ on your behalf. One likely explanation for how the gospel came uh, to Colossae is that quite possibly Epaphras heard the gospel from Paul when Paul was in Ephesus for a few years, so that's recorded in Acts 19. It's possible that also there were others from Colossae as well who believed while visiting Ephesus along with Epaphras. So after becoming a Christian, Epaphras, who is from Colossae, goes to his home, back to his hometown preaching. The gospel, and eventually a church is formed. It seems that Paul writes this letter to the Colossians in response to concerns that Epaphras brought to Paul. So you can imagine Epaphras, the pastor at the church in Colossae, looking to Paul for help and, and traveling to go see Paul Uh, It seems like he was wanting some help in regards to addressing false teaching that we'll get to later in the book of Colossians. And Paul in his letter here makes the point of speaking very highly of Epaphras, who has proclaimed the true gospel in Colossae. It is also through Epaphras that Paul has heard of this gospel transformation that has happened in the lives of the people there. Verse 8 repeats again the love in the Spirit that the Colossians evidence. So Paul thanks God for how the gospel has spread to the church in Colossae through the faithful minister of the gospel, Epaphras. But Paul does not only thank God for how the gospel has grown and spread to Colossae, he also thanks God for how the gospel is bearing fruits and increasing in the whole world. When we consider the whole world, I think there's a, an already and a not yet that is being described here. The gospel has already spread to much of the Roman world and would continue to spread outward. It had its feet already in, in different regions moving out and would continue to spread. But that's not saying that every group of people at that time had already heard the gospel. Paul knew that the gospel was spreading around the world and would continue to spread as Christians went out proclaiming the gospel. And so here, Paul thanks God for gospel growth. He thanks God for the spread of the gospel. Again, in thinking on the theme of thankfulness here, let's put ourselves in the Colossians' sandals and then put ourselves in Paul's sandals And thinking from the Colossians' perspective, we're reminded to be thankful to God that we heard the gospel. Remember how you heard the gospel. Remember how you believed. This is something to continue to thank God for. Also, thank God that you not only heard the message of the gospel, but that you understood it. This was a work of God's Holy Spirit in your life. Being reminded to thank God for the privilege of having heard the gospel should also be a good reminder for us to share the gospel with others, to proclaim the gospel to those who haven't heard it. I would imagine that most of us need a bit of an extra push to open our mouth and share the gospel with others. There are many good motivations to share the gospel, but it's always good to remember even more. And I think from our passage this morning, we can connect some dots and consider how thankfulness to God for having heard the gospel should motivate us to share the gospel with others. So how might God use you to share the gospel with someone else in a similar way to how God used someone to share the gospel with you. Just as the church in Colossae bore fruit and increase, we want to, as a local church, bear fruit and increase in our community. We desire that people come to faith in Jesus Christ and join our church or join another gospel-preaching church. And this bearing fruit and increasing image can also Encourage us in our evangelism the, the spirit is alive and the spirit is at work through the proclamation of the gospel It's our responsibility to share but it's not our responsibility to save if, if we felt that it was our responsibility to save someone we would feel an unhealthy amount of pressure but we trust it's God who saves and I'm thankful for ways that I do here of members in this church who have given others opportunity to hear the gospel by proclaiming the good news. A few of you, even in this room, I think, heard the gospel from other members while you were still not Christians. And eventually you believed and were baptized. And that's something that we can really celebrate and thank God for. What fruit is born will be a work of the Holy Spirit. But let us continue in faithfully proclaiming the good news of the gospel. Someone, probably multiple people, shared the gospel with us. And so may our thankfulness to God motivate us to do the same. And if sharing the gospel still sounds like an intimidating thing, please do talk to another brother or sister here who you know has shared the gospel with others, we can be of encouragement to, another, to one another in this. And when we have opportunities, we can do it together. So transitioning from the Colossians' perspective to what we can learn from Paul's example, let us thank God with Paul that the gospel is spreading everywhere. I think of a couple of the men who came to guest preach for us last year, who were former elders of WSBC, old friends, who had no plans to leave Shanghai at the time, but now Chris and his family are in Taiwan, Danny and his family are in Thailand, and both are continuing to do the work of gospel proclamation and church planting in other places." So when we hear of how God is using these friends to proclaim the gospel and care for churches in other places, let us be thankful to God, even if part of us may wish that they still lived by the Shanghai done. So brothers and sisters, in learning from Paul's thankfulness in regards to the spread of the gospel, we're reminded that God is God over the whole world. The gospel has spread over the whole world, and the one ultimately to thank is God. Paul does not directly thank the Colossians or Epaphras. What Paul does is thank God for what God is doing in Colossae and what God has done through his servant, Epaphras. In considering the gospel going out into the whole world and To Seeing Paul's attitude and excitement and thankfulness to God for that. Let's also consider our own involvement in missions. When we think about missions, when we think about the gospel going forth in this world that God has created, yes, we're still thinking of evangelism. We're thinking about the proclamation of the gospel, and we're thinking of it in a cross-cultural context. The idea is that this evangelism where you cross over to another culture often learning a new language may lead to God showing mercy to some who believe which leads to the forming of churches. Some of you may move on someday from Shanghai to to less reached places where there's less or little fewer Christians. Wherever you go, may God give you words to speak his gospel. And we do believe, as reflected in our church covenant, that you're not to do this solo. You still need to be part of a church family wherever you end up. But also, perhaps someday our church even could be involved in sending a church planting team to an area of this country where there are fewer believers and fewer churches. There are many areas of this country where it's harder to find a good church than where we live now. Whatever the case, let us seek to be involved in evangelism where we are, in supporting the work of gospel, proclamation, and church planting in our country and in this world. And let us encourage one another in this and seek to do this together. When we consider which ministries and people we support as a church out of the budget, we're also considering how these ministries are related to the proclamation of who Jesus is and the relationships of these ministries with, uh, with different churches. Gospel growth is something that we can continue to, to thank God for. Before we conclude, on behalf of the elders, and I message Brian, I would say this. There's something I wanted to say, and, and that's simply, we thank God for you. For you brothers and sisters of this church, We thank God for brothers and sisters who who may be visiting in town this Sunday as well. And remember this word you is in the plural. It's not in the singular. This is speaking to you collectively, brothers and sisters. Meditating on these first several verses of Colossians has been a reminder for me that I should be thanking God for all of you more. And it's a reminder of the profound reasons that I have to thank God for you. And so when I remember your faith in Christ, this is a reason for me to thank God for you. For who you are. That you are in Christ. Even if your faith feels small, the important thing is who your faith is in. When I see evidence of your love for other members of this church and the way that you care for one another, that's a reminder to thank God for the work that he is doing in you. God has given you a love to care for the believers here as family, and that's something to thank God for. When I hear examples of how even during trials and suffering, you're holding on to the hope of heaven, that's reason for me to thank God for you. You hold on to this hope as a reality that you know it's, it, this is true, even when it's hard. When I hear your prayer requests for your non-Christian friends and relatives at the evening service or at other times, when I hear of how you've shared the gospel with them, that's reason for me to thank God for you. When I think of how the gospel is spreading through you or how you've planted seeds faithfully, that's reason for me to thank God for you. And brothers and sisters, this is not to ignore the room that we have to grow in faith and hope and love and in gospel proclamation. We'll get to more of that later in Colossians. But right here, let, let's stop and, and thank God for one another because of what God has done and is doing. As we strive to live hope-motivated, faith-filled, loving lives in which we proclaim God's truth, let's remember to thank God for making all of this possible. Let's remember that it's God who saves, It's God who sent his son Jesus so that we can be saved. It's Jesus who has prepared a place for us in heaven. It's God's spirit who seals us until that day when we go home. And so that's why our thanks is directed to God. And so when we thank God for one another, we're thanking God for what? He has done and what He is doing in making us new. Let's continue to thank God in prayer now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the mercy and grace that you've shown in, in sending Christ. Lord, we thank you for your kindness to us in Christ. And Lord, we do, we do thank you for evidence of what you've done in one another. Lord, we, we thank you for the work that you are doing. And Father, we, we continue to trust you with that work through the power of your Spirit. Lord, would we continue to have the joy of seeing love, of seeing evidence of faith and hope, of hearing uh, how your gospel is going forward? Father, we we do thank you and we pray that that we would have this attitude of thankfulness to you uh, for your kindness, to us in Christ. In Jesus' name, Amen.